Role to Play, a behind-the-scenes RPG podcast exploring the world of role-playing games. This is episode one. I'm Sarah, your host, and today I catch up with Tome Keeper Devin Wilson, lead writer and dungeon master for the Legacy of Mana campaign setting from Six Sides of Gaming. Legacy of Mana is set in Amaria, a secluded world in which no magic is safe. See Amaria brought to life at the Six Sides of Gaming YouTube channel. That's Six Sides of Gaming, all one word, and search for Legacy of Mana, or the world it's based in, Imaria. Want to play in this setting? Check out patreon.com slash legacyofmana. Well, welcome to A Role to Play. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Devin Wilson from Six Sides Gaming. Devin is an accomplished DM and storyteller and tome keeper for the Legacy of Mana series. Hello. I'm excited to talk to you because we were chatting the other day and uh, wow, I couldn't believe just how much like you just had so much to say about D&D and role playing and there's just some really exciting things going on that you're part of. And uh, I was really impressed at your ability to pull from all these different facets of history and uh, humanity and weave those into the story that you tell. Um, but before we get into that, I thought maybe we could just back it up for a moment and tell me a little bit about how did you get here to where you are now? On a broad scale, it's uh, that I, I grew up with stories of fantasy and things like The Hobbit, and um, that was kind of the the thing that really led me into going the route to where when I was 11, my parents got me Dungeons and Dragons and I kind of just took off with that. And it, and it was, became everything to me. Um, specifically in terms of getting into the industry, it was really only um, within the recent five years or so where I just kind of one day I just woke up and decided that I wanted to try to get into the industry. I, I just, I had made a decision that this is what I wanted to do. And then I just started making efforts and taking steps to do so. I started signing up for running public games. I started signing up for conventions. I started talking to people who were uh, coming to them, who were involved with them. And I started you know, researching local things in my area that I could do. And I just kind of continued to go and through more and more and more of those until it got to the point where uh, I was able to start getting recognized for what I was accomplishing and then attracting the attention of people who would then be able to employ me in doing what I'm doing. Uh, COVID helped a little bit with that because there were a lot of projects that people wanted to work on during that process. And so they were looking for people to help with that. And that's where I was really able to get my foot in the door properly. But even before then, I was already uh, doing everything I could to try and continue to grow in whatever the small bubble of the industry was in my uh, current area. Uh, there is a little bit of luck involved. I happened to be getting, I had to be making this decision right around the time that I was able to do certain things. Uh, certain opportunities came to me because it was the right time. But there was definitely also skill involved. There were others who were along the same path as me who did not continue the direction that I went. And they went other ways because of how things went with them. And I continued going this other way. So it was a combination of many different facets, but 
mainly it was just because I just decided this is what I wanted and I just kept going until I had what I wanted. I love that. So it was very intentional. And uh, I love that you said you just kept going. And the other thing that you touched I'm on. Still going. <laughs> and still going. Very good point. Uh, and the other thing that you you touched on there, you said there were some moments of luck. And personally, I'm, I, I'm a huge believer in serendipity and how those things can you know, fall into place. And can you tell me a little bit about that, like what you're calling luck there, that um, that, that perhaps was, a, was that final factor that pushed you over the edge to the success that you've had? Two main things. Uh, one, that, I'm, um, that I grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo, and that happens to be, apparently, a decent-sized hub for the tabletop gaming um, because of one very specific company being in its vicinity. Um, the second thing is that when I decided to start doing this, it uh, was around the same time that said company was running a uh, sort of a, a tournament for game masters. And uh, so I was able to participate in that and uh, meet the people involved and sort of start making a name for myself very early on with people who had lots of connections. Uh, had I been operating out of um, a, a further away city uh, like Hamilton or um, London or something like that, it's quite possible I never would have heard of these things. I never would have uh, noticed that and I wouldn't have had the opportunity. I might have had different opportunities, it's hard to say. But to get to where I am now, doing the things I am doing now was very dependent on me being in this area and me having chosen to pursue this the time that I did. What about setbacks? Was there anything that the that that's, that stopped you from moving forward? There's always going to be things that uh, like obstacles that get in your way, and it's it's a matter of how you handle them. Uh, COVID was in a weird way actually more of a ramp than a hindrance for me to get to where I wanted to be. But before that, the only real thing that was getting in my way was myself um, in trying to circumnavigate the uh, my own sense of worth of, of how I saw myself and where I believed I was. Uh, and that once I kind of that and imposter syndrome where you're like, you, you, I guess they're kind of hand in hand, but you, you're thinking that you aren't good enough to be where you are or to go where you're trying to go and you still need to continue working on yourself. You still need to improve. And yet you keep growing and you keep uh, getting higher and further. And, uh, it's one of those things where when you, you just kind of have to come to realization that if you feel that way, if you are struggling, not struggling, if you are just able to keep yourself from feeling overwhelmed and you, but you're not coasting, you feel like you're right in the middle where you're, you're just sort of touching the bottom of the pool. You're just keeping your head above water. That's where you should be. And that's actually the best place for you to be, to grow and to continue because you're not overwhelmed, but you're not coasting. And so when you kind of start to realize that you get out of your own way and then you just let the opportunities happen and you just take them one at a time and you tackle them and you understand that you're, you were given these opportunities for a reason. It's not just luck. Right. And that is one of the problems was when, when you are so heavily reliant on luck to get you where you are, it can sometimes feel like that's the only reason you are where you are, but you have to take a step back and realize that there were other people along that route who are not following the journey that you're on. And that's because you are the one that was meant to follow that journey. And 
you kind of have to internalize that. And once you are able to come to terms with that, even if it's just for a little bit, even if it's just to just enough to push aside some of the the, the imposter syndrome that sneaks up on you, uh, you really do start to just find out how easy it is to progress without yourself holding back. Oh my gosh. I think you just said exactly what I needed to hear. And I strongly suspect that there are many people who will listen to this who really need to hear this as well. I, one of the biggest things that like piece of advice that I give whenever someone says, uh, like if I'm talking to somebody at a convention and they say, Oh, I've always wanted to start a, a D and D TikTok or whatever, but there's already so many of them. I'm like, just do it. Just, just start doing what it is that you want to do. Uh, a friend of mine, Ryan, uh, he decided to start a D&D TikTok, and in the span of a month, he got 3,000 followers. Wow. Right? Like, you, you, you don't know until you do it, and whatever you have to say is your own voice. As long as you're doing it through from, your, from who you are and your own experience, and you're not just trying to chase trends, you will develop an audience. It may take time. It will take a lot of work. But if you don't do any of it, you'll never get there. So it's just a matter of, I mean, that's what I did. I just decided one day, this is what I'm doing. Anybody can make that decision. You just have to follow through. During COVID, it seemed every moment you had available, you were running a game. Pretty much. I think I was up to five or six a month, um, with most of those being biweekly. That was part of my plan was to just expose myself to as many different people and areas and trying to kind of see where my limits were. Because the problem was I'd only ever just run games and and done stories for myself. I I had written stories for myself and my friends. I had run games for my friends, but I had never really done it for other people. None of the things I I had written were meant to be seen by other people, uh, really. Like, I posted some stuff, but really they were just meant for for me and my own friends and our own kind of interwoven stories amongst ourselves. so I didn't know what my limits were in terms of how many games can I run? How many stories can I come up with? How well can I do this? And how well can I do that? So it was kind of an, just stretching myself out as much as I could to understand my own limitations so that in the future, I can have a better understanding of exactly how far I can go and should go. I definitely have felt burnout um, a fair bit. There, there were some periods where it was pretty strong. Um, but there is, if it is something that you legitimately care about and that you're very passionate about and that you want to succeed, you tend to sort of block out the burnout, which isn't very healthy. Don't do that. <laughs> but uh, you, you will start to, once that hurdle is passed and you start to pull away, you realize just how burnt out you really were and how exhausted you were, even though you were pushing through it. So uh, it, that has helped me to now know my limit on how many games I can run per day, how many I can do per week, what kind of time management is required for each of them. And uh, that's been immensely helpful for me being able to schedule myself and regulate myself. Let's fast forward to where we are now. What's a highlight for you so far? I mean, it's <clears throat> there have been so many really cool moments that have happened, especially in the last year and a half or so. But uh, definitely... The current big highlight for me was a few days ago, we had Luke Gygax down along with Ed Greenwood, Keith Baker, and Elisa Teague to run a, a game of Dungeons & Dragons, which we filmed and we're going to be uploading to YouTube. And um, 
I'm very nostalgic for the old style of RPGs, the, the second edition, the first edition stuff. I never grew up with that really, but I've always, that was what I sort of had access to when I was younger, because those were the things you could buy at thrift stores, all the old stuff. So that's mostly what I was reading when I was getting into the hobby and getting into these ideas. And a lot of that is what Luke Gygax and Ed Greenwood and Keith Baker and all of them also grew up on. And being able to run for all of those people at once was this sort of weird existential moment, this, this like spiritual experience almost. But the highlight of all of it was when I had designed some of the most deadliest traps and uh, not unfair, but quite cruel encounters for the party to face against. And watching as Luke Gygax just systematically use military-grade tactics and one by one got through every single one of them with nary a scratch on them was like it, it, it was i can't even almost i almost can't even describe it. it it was just this strange sort of nirvana moment of everything i've always wanted out of role-playing all colliding at once it was uh it was it was like watching the thought that I had was um, this is going to get really all over the place, but uh, with Archimedes and uh, his cousin, King Hiron the second of uh, Sicily, when um, Archimedes was doing a bunch of math to try and figure out how, uh, how much gold had been stolen from the King. And there's this whole thing about the crown. You can look up Archimedes and the golden crown, but at the very end of the whole thing, uh, he doesn't end up punishing the thief because he says it was worth all the gold he lost just to watch his his cousin at work. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that is almost the feeling I had is like I had spent hours and hours preparing this incredibly deadly and uh, extraneous trap laden dungeon. And he took it all down in maybe under half an hour. And oh, I couldn't have been happier to see it happen. It was it was glorious to just watch as everyone at the table was awestruck like it was it was this pure moment that i i'm so happy we caught on camera because it is i i want to go back and rewatch that when it's done being edited it, it was it was something else that that for sure is definitely a highlight um other than that i would say uh, i was just running a game for local people and i opened opened was just checking my phone as a message had gone off and it was a it was a tweet from Ed Greenwood basically saying I was one of the best dungeon masters he'd ever had. Oh, wow. And uh, that was a pretty big, I had to take a minute just to kind of <laughs> collect myself because that was, that was incredible praise from someone who I respect very dearly. Just being able to experience those things with people who I've looked up to since I was a kid is second to none at this point. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to prepare that dungeon, prepare that story for that audience? Is, do you think differently when you have a specific cast of characters coming to your table? Do you set up things differently for that audience or for those players, I should say, than, than, than you would if, um, if they weren't there? Well, the, the main reason I even included a dungeon full of deadly traps, like th those players had no business going into something like that. But I knew Luke Gygax did because I knew I knew the history of, of him as a player and his character he was playing as Melf and uh, so I I know I knew that 
he was going to, I wasn't expecting what we got. It was, it was so much better than I could ever have planned, but I knew that going in there would, I wanted to make everybody feel like they had something to do, like they had a purpose to be there. And so that was one of the things I was including in the game to give Luke something that he could flex his expertise on. Just as I give uh, Elisa lots of big emotional impact moments uh, as, I, as that's kind of her strength, but also puzzles because she likes to solve puzzles. And Ed is really, really just there to ham it up and have a good time. And so I like to give lots of uh, comedic uh, things for him to chew on and to, and to play around with. And Keith is just fascinated in world building and... Um, different kind of technological things. And so I gave a lot of things for him to do as Merrick's to Kenneth. And, and so I, I try to approach the, the, the story that I'm creating from the viewpoint of who's going to be in it, because giving everybody something to do and a reason to be there, it really makes it feel like that only they could have done this. Right. So if you, for example, have um, someone like Melf, this famed dungeon explorer from O-Earth who has gone through all of Gary Gygax's original dungeons and somehow survived. <laughs> the idea of only he could have survived and, and helped the party get through this crazy trap-filled dungeon is is an inspiring and, and moment where not only does it let the character really flex what they have and what they can do, but it also endears them to the rest of the party. It it shows everybody else at the table what this person's true core strength is. And so when I was when I go and I'm writing these adventures that we're going to run, I try to explore it from. Uh, an angle of each character. I want them to be, I want there to be a pivotal reason that this character and only this character is going to be able to integrate themselves into the plot. And I don't ever really consider it, it even the first draft complete until I at least have one thing for each character to have a reason to be there. Um, you never want to have someone there because they just happened to be there at the time. Um, even if that's how they got there, but you don't want someone to just feel like they've been tagged on or that they are just kind of there to be part of the the experience and not actually contribute. Um, so I, I always try to approach any game or any story from the perspective of the players and what they would want to be able to have their characters do. And sometimes that even means you know, uh, getting in contact with those players and just saying, hey, is there anything specific that you would like to do in this game? Is there anything that you like to uh, to have this character accomplish? Are there any big moments or, or, or things that you would really like to flex? Um, and more often than not, most people just say, I'm just here to have a good time. But even still, the, the to hear them talk after the fact, like one of the big things was how Keith Baker was very, uh, complimentary about how I was able to incorporate all the characters and give them all a reason and to, to, to be there and things to do that fitted what they and their character were about and that only those characters could have done. Um, and everybody got to feel useful and no one felt like they were being left behind. Uh, it really does pay off and it is probably the easiest way to make your story engaging. Uh, whatever you're trying to do, because no one in the long run is going to care about some grand evil plot that, you know, has all this great intricacies if the party has no reason to be involved in it. Uh, that's where you should always start. And honestly, you don't even need that big of a villain or plot or uh, world building involved if the characters are doing things that only they can do, because at that point, everyone's having a good time. 
some sometimes it uh, as as a player it, you can be looking for those opportunities but when they just come naturally in the game there's something really special about that and fall like adhering to a story that is unfolding yeah i mean like you said you can, they'll be looking for moments like that too they'll always be trying to find a way to use their character's core concept as often as possible so give them reasons to do so uh hand it to them on a silver platter like they will they will be perfectly fine with uh it being very obvious that this was designed for their character because they'll be excited that you were thinking of them and that you have crafted something specifically for them it feels good to to know that your decision you made for your character to, to build them in this way is something that is being taken seriously and is being respected and and you want to engage with a story that is involved with that. I mean, how many books or movies do you, do you read or see where there's this really cool character, but then halfway through the plot, they just kind of have nothing left to do. They just kind of stand there and they look pretty on screen, right? No one likes that. Uh, they always want every character to have something to do um, that is core to their cons to the to their character concept because it's easy to give someone something to do but is it something that that character should be doing that that character uh is capable of doing and that's uh, that's something that character should be doing those are the key things to be asking yourself because anybody can go fight the monster but can anybody but if the monster is like some kind of big construct the artificer has is going to have some more options there, right? Maybe they can look at the control console, which will enable them to do more things to maybe disable certain defenses or change certain things. Anything like that, any, any way that you can add complexity and layers to what you have planned to give the characters their own sense of identity in the story is always going to be better than uh, anything else that you could possibly plan. So I have a question for you on that note. I am assuming you have something of a theater background, just uh, from, do you have a theater background? Uh, a little bit. I, I did some, um, like I was in a couple of plays, I did some drama stuff when I was very young, but I, I was always very reserved and, um, and shy, so it was very difficult for me to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I do have a big music background where I would go up on stage and do lots of performances, uh, and so there was a lot of that. Um, but I used to write, I've always written stuff. Um, I would get mad that books would end and then my mom would tell me to go write more to the book. So I would just go sit down and I would write more of the book, all of which will never see the light of day. But, uh, I've just, I've been writing since the very beginning and I've been always interested in sort of the medieval era and, and the, the fantastical elements of, of what that era can provide with the magic and the dragons and the swords and sorcery and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was kind of, I kind of just fell into doing this kind of thing. Um, in regards to the, the more improv actor kind of side, it's really that um, I never really did a lot of professional acting, but I did have to, because I was so shy, because I was so introverted, I did have to pretend to be certain things. I had to kind of force my personality in certain ways in order to be able to interact with people at work or if I was at a party or whatever I was doing. I was I was never really myself. I was always kind of elevating certain aspects of myself to be able to interact properly. And that just sort of transitions into if I want to play a character, I just take certain parts of myself and I crank them up and crank them down in, in accordance to what I'm trying to portray. And that allows me to, to do something. Um, I, I would always consider myself much 
more to enjoy the side of the writing and the, and the encounter design and the, um, the game aspect versus the role play aspect. Not that I don't enjoy the role playing, but, uh, I, I enjoy those other aspects a lot more. And then the role playing is more so something that as I have been, uh, having more and more experiences to play the game with actual actors, uh, it has gra- greatly enhanced my ability to role play to the point where, um, when I go sit down at just kind of local tables as a player, they, they're all incredibly wowed by the performance I can give, which on the grand spectrum is still very low end compared to someone like Mark Mir, who always rules whatever table he's at, including the ones that we've done with like, you know, uh, Ed Greenwood and that, like it's, it's, you can't hold a candle to, to what that man can perform. But, uh, it is, cathartic in certain ways to play certain characters to be able to because when you're doing it in reality when you're going around and you're masking and you're pretending to be happy or you're pretending to be uh someone who cares about this or that in order to have a conversation with somebody it's much more fun to be able to do that on your own time and uh, in the in your own way but really i just got very good at pretending to be uh, a better version of myself or a different version of myself. And so I kind of just extrapolated from that and brought that with me into gaming. Uh, so that I don't lose it, I want to go back to, you said books that you didn't want to end and you wanted to keep, you, you wanted the story to continue. So your mother asked you to keep writing. So what would be um, the most epic story that didn't end for Devon that the rest of the world will want to see, uh, but perhaps there were a couple of things that I sort of, so I, 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 there was a time very, very long time ago now, it seems like it anyway, where I had ideas for, I had this idea for a, a novel about, um, cyberspace and it was all about like, it was in the future and there were these certain like antivirus, programs that were sentient and they would fight against virus programs which are sentient and i mean really it would it would have been a better structure for like a saturday morning show with like a monster of the week styled thing but uh this i had like this whole world design with all these rules and and mechanics and the way that it all functioned and characters and designs all this stuff It, it never really I, I didn't have the discipline to sit down and, and write it all out. I mean, in the past, I'd also written uh, movie scripts that I fully intended to do something with, and just I wrote the script, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have written video essays that I never got around to doing any of the recording or editing for. Like, I like writing. I will write things, and that I don't have a problem with. But as soon as it gets time to actualize any of the things that I've written, I just it 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 everything becomes so overwhelming that I just don't want to do it anymore. Which is one of the reasons why I'm pretty happy with my current position because I just have to write things, and then someone else takes care of all the video and the editing and the and the the audio and all that. The only time I have to actualize it is when I have to run it, and that's the one thing I don't mind doing because that's just telling the story that I've already written. And there's and and in a way helping to continue writing it in new ways because it's, it's, it's interactive. So, uh, you know, if I'm writing something and I don't know how this will end, sometimes I'll just come up with a couple of different things and then I'll see where the party goes with it. And then I get my ending. <laughs> and so, um, I, I've never really been able to follow through enough to have something that was 
what I would consider to be a finished product. Um, personally, I would love to be able to go back and finish all of the stories I was writing um, about me and me and my friends as uh, Warcraft characters because we would write a lot. I would write I would write a lot of stories about how they met each other, the adventures they would go on, um, and how they integrated into the world and all of this kind of stuff. And I always had all these ideas, and I, and I never really got all of them written out because I kept wanting to do projects with them. So I used to make like a web comic out of uh, uh, game models, and I would do like script writing for it, and I would do fan fiction, and I, I would write all these things. But it was so time consuming, and it was really just more of a, a fun thing for me to do to uh, pursue that part of my that itch in my brain that needed to tell stories that as I started moving further into doing more D and D stuff, that kind of fell away. And instead it became about me and my friends, D and D characters and the stories that they were doing. And that was way more fun for me because it involved them rather than me just having to do all the work myself. Right. Right. That, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about the game is that you do get the inputs from all the people at the table and you create something that is, you know, larger than yourself and something that you wouldn't come up with just on your own. There was a time in my life where uh, when I was a teenager that I was very interested in making video games mm -hmm. and primarily RPGs. So uh, I had like different programs to write different types of games and stuff. And I would write and create RPGs uh, or like other little small puzzle games that I was creating. And I would get like my friends and my dad and whatever to play test them for me. And I really liked making those types of games because I liked playing. I really enjoyed the story driven games. I wasn't as into action gameplay. I wanted to have a good story and, and good characters. And that's always what, what drew me into the world and, and to the, the game. Um, and so being able to, write stuff for D and D is just kind of the next evolution of that because it is way easier to just create a bunch of stuff in my head and then have other people bounce off of that than having to create a bunch of stuff, then create the art assets and then design the art assets and then program it and all that other stuff. Because I always enjoy, uh, it, it all, it all stemmed from a, a want to create something that someone else could then experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I always, my favorite thing to do was I would spend a full weekend designing a new dungeon in my RPG uh, on the computer. And then I would put it on a disc, I'd burn it onto a disc, I'd take it over to my friend's house. And then I would just sit there beyond excited as I'd watch them navigate through it and try the different things and figure out the puzzles and fight the monsters that I had designed. And, uh, and that was so exciting for me. The problem, of course, was I had nothing to do with all that energy of being excited because I was just a passive observer watching them do things, trying desperately not to tell them where the secrets were. But as a dungeon master, as, 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 a, as, a, as a storyteller, as a, as a game master, I can then focus that energy in driving the story and helping them to in, interact with what I have created. And I think it, it really marries all of the desires that I had, plus all the interests that I had. And it is sort of this perfect melding of everything that I've ever wanted all combined into one. When you talk about creating the game for the people that will be playing it, that comes from a real uh, deeper sense of understanding people and what motivates them and makes them tick. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when you take that 
and you put it with the creation of like the other side of that equation of I'm going to put these things there for you so that you can have this experience. But it's more than just um, creating opportunities for heroic moments in a story. I think that it's also about creating these uh, moments for individuals experiencing those epic moments in the story. Uh, yeah, I mean, there there is, uh, obviously, kind of like what you were just saying, you can give them those heroic moments and those cool moments to enact, but those are, as cool as those are, they are fairly superficial uh, on the surface. They, they're really just, oh, I, you know, my character is this awesome archer, so a scene to do some really cool archery is, is cool and is great, but there's no real you know, big storytelling narrative happening for that, other than just that we're seeing how cool of an archer they are. Um, where you can really, the stuff that I really like to do is try to find narrative through lines and themes and really tug on the the, the emotions and the expectations of what the, what the players and, and the people experiencing the story really want. And that is the real meat of storytelling is to accomplish something, right? Just, uh, I, to get really nerdy for a second, the, the crafting of, of storytelling and of writing, it, it's like, well, what, what is a story? A story can be a man walked into a room, sat down in a chair for five minutes, then left. That's a story. It's not a particularly interesting story. There's nothing objectively wrong with that story, but it's, it's, there's nothing, there's no meat to it. There, there's, there's nothing there, nothing to grasp. It's not memorable in any way. It's just... A thing that happened, right? Where I think um, the, the the true love of and, and enjoyment of storytelling is being able to, at least for me anyway, is to touch on aspects of life, of society, of, of humanity, of, of existence in general, reality, truth. Because there are so many different ideals and, and um, philosophies and concepts that we maybe don't deal with on a day-to-day -day basis um, in, in, in our lives, but we can think about them and, and we, we can talk about them. Uh, and these are all things that help to kind of help us understand ourselves better, to help us understand the world better, and help us to know what is going on in other people's heads because a lot of the time um i mean how many times have you read a book that had a character in it which was very different from your own line of thought but because of the way the book's narrative works you can see their line of thinking and how they uh reach the the, the conclusions that they come to and it helps you better understand those kinds of people because you never had a chance to really be inside that person's head right so what i like to do is i try to come up with situations where there isn't really a right answer and a wrong answer there's it's it's just sort of here's everything that's happening and it's kind of up to you to decide what you believe to be the best course or the best decision that you can make um, there are no uh, people who don't have anything that they're ashamed that they're not ashamed of or that they're hiding or that they but also they also have goals. They maybe have things that they wish they could do. That's the stuff that really drives a story. I mean, when when you have a bunch of characters sitting or a bunch of players sitting around a table being characters and interacting, yeah, they likely want to go and and you know fight off some orcs and save the town. But 
I think this, that's that's and that's cool and then that's great. But I think the stuff that they always remember, the stuff they always look back fondly at, were when they had really engaging conversations with various characters in the world. Um, there was one instance where we were just playing a game of D and D, and it ended up getting into between uh, one the paladin and uh, sort of the NPC that was traveling with the party. They got into this whole discussion about theology and uh, religious worship and whether, you know, those who worship an evil God were also in, in their ways evil or if they were, um, if, if an evil God was right, like if, if they should exist, if they shouldn't exist, what was morality? And it got in this huge, deep conversation. And it was, it was one of those things where that discussion, that level of deep thought would never have occurred between me and that other person, except for the framework of what had been designed at the table of, of the gameplay that was happening, of the world that was being explored. And I think that that is one of the reasons why you'll see certain things online about how D&D uh, &D and role-playing games can be very, very cathartic, very therapeutic, is because you can see, I mean, role-playing by itself is something that um, therapists use to help distance from certain experiences and scenarios to try and unravel what's really going on in there. And so playing a game in that environment is no different. You can look at philosophical ideas or uh, um, certain concepts uh, that you maybe normally wouldn't ever discuss in the real world, but you can really dive into it in a world where these things are, are real and manifested. And uh, it, it, it allows you to really play around with these thoughts in an, ex in an environment where there isn't really any big expectation. You know, if you all of a sudden cut the conversation short and decided to behead the guy you're talking to, no one would really bat an eye. That's just how the game works. But you can still have those types of discussions and you can, and you can frame them in a way where there are real consequences to the decisions made, at least in the game world, uh, and try your best to present it in a in a way that isn't that you're taking a side or that you're trying to um preach you're just presenting ideas present moral questions that i don't have an answer for and i'm not expecting them to have an answer for but which the characters in the world believe that they have the answers for and i really like watching players struggle with their own internal uh, ideals and where they themselves see themselves uh, within the moral spectrum. And no two people are the same. You, you can really learn a lot about um, different types of people and, and what kind of a life they've led by the way that they approach certain problems in a role-playing game. And that's the stuff I find fascinating is being able to really explore uh, what it means to be a sentient being, what it means to be human, and do it in a way that it's we're just having fun playing a game, and there, there's no pressure, there's no uh, real expectation. It's just part of this adventure we're on. It's a it's a little microscopic moment in a large swath of grand landscape trudging adventure. Right, and there's no there's no actual real consequences. It's just a game. I mean, there's definitely been real, actual tears uh, shed at tables I've run very recently. Um, 
And a lot of that is because of the, the more of cathartic therapeutic stuff that I mentioned earlier, where, uh, so uh, an anecdote, for example, is that one of my players was uh, having a vision. And in this vision, they were seeing this, uh, this one who had oppressed their character in the past. And in that vision, they spoke to this oppressor and drove their sword into that figure. And it was this big moment and they were very emotional and, and there were definitely tears happening. And after the fact, I learned that in that moment, they were speaking to their ex, this person who had abused them in reality. And it was very cathartic for them to go through that experience and be able to say the things that they were never able to say before. Uh, and it was a very powerful moment for them. And I, I, it's one of those things that I just don't see any other, any other way to have that raw, a kind of experience with storytelling other than through role-playing games. I have to agree. I think that's, uh, that's definitely a draw. And I find it interesting. There are some players who will fully immerse themselves into the game and into those experiences. And I think there's other players who don't, may not fully recognize that maybe that's why they were there, uh, at least on oh, the, oh, yeah. the, the depth that, that, that you're speaking. Um, there's a quote that I really like, which is, uh, in a world without consequence, why would you choose to be the good guy? And uh, the response to that, of course, is perhaps being the good guy and being able to deliver the ultimate good is, in fact, my power fantasy. Oh, interesting. And that's kind of always the way I looked at it, is in a world without consequence, that means I can try to stop that guy from being mugged without having to worry about getting hurt in real life. And I can, uh, you know, indulge in this sense of justice that I have in doing the right thing. And I don't have to worry about my own personal situation if things were to go badly. Right. So there, there are, but there's the other side of that, which is that sometimes, you know, if some people might be like, I want to, go on some kind of crazed, chaotic bender in the town. And I just want to go nuts. And that's just because they feel trapped in their day-to-day -day life. They feel like they, they can't do anything or that they're, they're constantly struck by schedule and, and, and rigidity. And so being able to just go full chaos is really relaxing and, and cathartic for them. And they may not even necessarily realize that that's the reason why, but on some level, I think that at least in their subconscious, they probably understand. Um, but yeah, for sure, you, you'll you'll get all like that's that that's what it is for me. Like I, I fully realize that um, the reason I always like to play good, strong characters is because I wish I was a good, strong person in real life. Wow. Well, you're a great DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something I guess. Yeah. You, we we were talking earlier or, or last week, I think. Um, I couldn't help but uh, be um, impressed. Like you were drawing on a lot of different um, events throughout history. And I was wondering if you could comment a little bit more on that and fill me in a little bit more. How do you come to have that knowledge and how do then do you apply it into the campaigns that you create? Uh, well, as I was saying earlier, like I've always been fascinated by history. Although for me personally, it's a very specific part of history. Um, I like the ancient world. I like the medieval world um, and uh, the early Renaissance. And then once you kind of get into the more, what I would consider to be um, pre-modern eras, it, it starts to taper off for me because it's not as interesting anymore because it's too close to what we have now. Um, but I'm, for whatever reason, I've just always been fascinated by 
the way things were done like thousands of years ago. And it's, it's just been something that I don't have any trouble getting lost in a rabbit hole. Like I, like, you know, researching the Spartans and all this stuff about them. I could go on and on and on, uh, just reading and reading and reading and watching videos and researching. And, and it never gets boring for me because I'm just this, I'm just fascinated by all of this stuff. Um, but the history itself uh, of our world is full of weird coincidences and domino effects that, from a world-building perspective, from a storytelling perspective, uh, really can help you, especially in something like uh, role-playing games where you have to sort of improv and innovate and adapt on the fly. Understanding how things happen in history can be both a relief and also an inspiration. Um for example, like the, the one that comes to mind right now is that the reason that we even, dis the reason that Europe even discovered North America to the degree of which like Christopher Columbus and all that came over and all of the good and bad that occurred from that point onwards, the reason that any of that even happened is because uh, a trade canal began to get taxed and people wanted to find a way around it. Wow. And if that hadn't happened, they may never have come over to North America, right? We, I mean, eventually we probably would have, but we don't know what would have happened at that point. Um, and it was all because these people wanted more money and they started taxing the trade route. And so in, a, in an effort to find a different trade route to India, they tried to go around the other direction. And that's where they ran into North America. So weird little things like that that lead to huge explosions of development uh, is everywhere in history. I mean, you can theoretically link the like fall of the Ottoman Empire into an innumerable number of things. Um, like the fact that uh, we have certain technology is because like, I mean, you look at how many things were invented by accident right? Uh, you look at how certain kings did certain things in certain ways, and that led to fashion trends that then led to uh, certain other inventions, right? Like the, the concept of genes was invented to solve a problem that was happening at the time. And then it was only that because they needed something like that is, is why they were invented. And now they're just this big fashion thing. And so all those pockets on jeans, for example, all had an original purpose when they were being made. Um, the, there's like, uh, the fact of waistcoats, suspenders and all that have like a really interesting history behind them in how they sort of evolved with the times. And a lot of it had to do with just certain decisions that certain people made at a certain time. Um, and you can, if you dive into this stuff, you will eventually like, writing a world becomes really easy because you realize that things are often stupider than they seem. Um, there are places which, you know, have this really cool sounding name, but when you look up the etymology, it just goes back to like some ancient language and it means lake <laughs> and it's just, it's a lake. Like that's all it is. Right. Or you could look, um, you could look at certain, weird like translations that have been misinterpreted and have gone in this direction and have done all of these different things. Uh, I, I, don't know, I just find all this stuff really interesting and I like learning about it and um, finding out that like, oh, there were pistol axes 
that were used in Germany during the age of sales. There were like these ax pistols and it's like, Oh, well, why weren't, why wasn't this a widespread thing? And you look into it and you're like, Oh, because the weight of the ax caused them to have disproportionate aiming. And so aiming was too hard. And then when you use it as an ax, it damaged all the mechanisms in the inside. And so that's why they weren't the thing. Um, so then you start looking at, uh, like, Oh, well in my world, I have this really strong metal called adamantine. And so this thing could now exist because the metal would be strong enough, but adamantine is too heavy. Well, what if I made it out of mithril, which is lighter? And now you can say, well, then in my world, I have axe pistols because the only thing stopping those from happening was that our real world metal metallurgy couldn't create something that would work. Uh, and I mean, that's the other stuff that always gets me going, which is um, the concept of dwarves, for example, uh, there is, uh, it, it, dwarves are typically seen as just as hardy and strong as humans. They're just shorter. And so what that would mean is that they could wear thicker armor because their armor can weigh the same as a full human set of plate, but because it's less surface area could be larger in order, it could be thicker in order to weigh the same amount. Meaning of course, that most dwarves would fight with things like axes and hammers in order to get through the large plate that they would be wearing. And like, this is the kind of stuff that really, I just, I love going into super minute detail about all these little things. And it all comes from just understanding why things were done in history. Like why was armor exactly this weight? It's like, well, cause they found out that that's how much a human could withstand for a great period amount of time before they got tired. And Oh, well, what can I do with that? Well, again, lighter armor means it could be thicker. So mithril armor weighing less could be thicker and thus more protective. Unless the reason that is light is cause it's less dense. And you know, but that's the kind of stuff you can really get into. And, that's, I think, what really will help your world feel real. It'll it'll really help people feel like they are experiencing another location because everything is grounded in some semblance of reality. Mm-hmm. And all of that can be gleaned just by examining real world historically. Every, every major world, whether it be Game of Thrones, Forgotten Realms, O-Earth, any of that is all inspired by real world analogs. Because that's all we have to draw from. Almost everything that every human has ever made in terms of uh, um, either in world building or in story generation comes from somewhere. Whether it be their own personal experience or something that they've read about or heard about uh, or witnessed. And that's basically all we are uh, as people is just a collection of memories and information. So what can be more uh, human of an experience than to just kind of be involved in what we, what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. Now that's really interesting when you, when you talk about it that way, like that these uh, ax pistols can't exist in this world because they're just not feasible, but they could exist in this other world. I mean, that's, that's that another thing create. like, um, you know, swords are the exact shape and size they are because of reasons like we, we as, as a species, like a lot of people don't give credit to just how intelligent we were in, in ages past. We had a lot of problems too, but there was a lot of very intelligent people who lived way back in the day and they were able to figure out a lot of intelligent things. And so the reason that armor looks the way it does, the reason that swords and weapons look the way they do is by design. And when you start to look up why they are, sometimes 
a weapon would be designed simply because it was made by these people who were fighting these people. Right. And they needed this type of weapon to fight what those people were using for armor, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason it exists. And so then if you're looking to apply that to your world and your story, you would then say, oh, well, I've designed these creatures which have this type of armor. So they would probably make a specific weapon to fight that type of creature if conventional weapons wouldn't work. And then you can either invent your own weapon or you can take a spin on an existing one. But it, it, it just, it makes everything so much easier when you can just say, oh, well, we already did this. So it perf makes perfect sense for this to happen in, in my game world. And it, it gives you the ammunition you need to uh, adapt to certain things happening. Because my personal belief is when you're writing a story, after a certain point, the story just writes itself. You're basically just a passive conduit to allow things to happen. Because if you have good characters, uh, you have a, a well-designed and thought-out world, and you understand how things interact with each other from a historical and world-building perspective, you barely have to do any work. You, things will just happen, and you'll know where to naturally take them. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I, I love how... Um... You know, when you when you pull these things together, where the where the world has these influences and the things that exist in the world because of how um, uh, how how the mechanisms in that world work, and you combine that then with the interests of the players, uh, and you throw all that together, and you get you know whatever unfolds. Yeah, right? uh, I mean, the, the some of the best moments for me when I'm running a game are seeing getting surprised. Uh, having a player do something that I never would have expected, but perfectly falls in lines with the parameters and the, and the world that's been placed before them. And that is kind of one of those situations where, uh, you know, uh, you, you remember why this is the way that I love to do things because that can't happen if I'm just writing a, a single story that has a beginning, middle and end, because it's very rare for your characters to surprise you when you're writing something. It can happen, but generally speaking, you're always like, oh, well, it makes sense that they would do this, uh, and then they would do this, and then they would do this. Uh, a good story is usually one which the characters are uh, progressing rather than things happening to them. And that's the same for uh, a role-playing game. As a game master, you will need to throw things at your players, but realistically, they should be the ones driving the story. They should be the ones who are make, taking action, who are uh, seeking out um, things and trying to accomplish goals because that's going to make for a far more invested and engaging story than you just constantly throwing things at them and seeing what they do. We talked earlier about how you got here and setting the intention to put yourself out there and get into this D&D space. You were very intentional about it and, uh, and, 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 and the opportunities uh, open. Um, where, where are you going from here? What's next? Well, it's kind of hard to say, but more or less um, progressing with what we're currently doing. I mean, uh, with every project that we finish, more and more doors keep getting opened. I mean, we just keep impressing people. So uh, we're doing something right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I've, I'm working on um, our world of, of Amaria for D&D. &D. We're also doing a Pathfinder version. That'll be coming out in the near future. And then we're going to be doing uh, 
uh, adventure supplements, uh, additional lore and mechanic supplements for that stuff. We'll be continuing to produce shows for Six Sides of Gaming's YouTube and Twitch and all that kind of stuff, um, where we'll be bringing in people and going to conventions, doing live productions. We're talking about doing some stuff with Shadowrun as well and being able to dive into that world with a couple of people out in L.A. and there's a lot happening um, almost too fast to really keep track of it all. Everything's sort of just flashing before my eyes. Um, where I would like to be is in a position where I am able to craft stories that people will, like many people will enjoy. Cause currently where I'm at most, the only people really enjoying the stories that I'm crafting are the people playing in them. And those who are friends to the like, industry people who, who are involved in the business. Cause for the most part, the mass audience, the mass public audience is not directly involved in what we're doing. And I think in the future, that would be, I, I would love for the chance to be able to work hard on crafting uh, a narrative through line and interesting moments for characters to really bounce off each other and really flex what they can do and have that be uh, enjoyed by a great many people. I, I think that that is in, in the future, in the near near future, and that is generally where I would like to to see things progressing to. Uh, other than that, I'm not you know super greedy when it comes to you know more and more. I I really just would like to continue to tell cool stories with cool people and uh, be able to get my voice heard. Beautiful. I I love your vision. I I I find the uh, the, the world that you're. Um building is, is very interesting and I'd love to see more people experience it as well. Um, one more question for you. Uh, who would you most like to have at your table who you have not had at your table yet? Ooh, the, so it's kind of, on one hand, I'd really like Brendan Lee Mulligan to be at my table, but I feel like that would be incredibly nerve wracking because I respect him so much and it would be, I would just, I'd be so 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 much wanting to impress him that I, I feel like in that situation I would that would be the best game I'd ever run in my life and then I would be peaked. Um, I, I I think uh, it would be fascinating to be able to bounce ideas off someone who is such a great improver and uh, builder of worlds and uh, and narrative uh, designer who is who is just so in tune with. Uh, being able to flash into a character at the drop of a hat like that is all good stuff to me um i'm generally just so grateful to be able to run for the people that i can run for and that i get to you know just have a good time with all these people who are uh so experienced in in the industry and have so many uh so many stories yet to tell with that i can help them with um but other than that i i mean it would be cool to have, uh, you know, what would be really fun is to run a game for some of the people who voice acted in the Baldur's Gate video game. <laughs> that would be fun. Have them play as their characters. That would be that would be really surreal. Just having Jim Cummings at my table playing Minsk. That that would be that would be pretty awesome. Uh, oh, okay. I would like to run the Witcher RPG for Henry Cavill playing as Geralt. That would be that would tickle me. That would be so wonderful. Uh, I, I would love because he's super he's super into that stuff. I think that would be fun. 
Um, but uh, yeah, for the most part, I I don't really care who's at my table as long as we're all having a good time and we're telling cool stories and we're uh, experiencing uh, just what each other can offer. Uh, that that's really I, I I just like doing this. So who's who's at the table is really just more of a uh, problem for me to consider when designing what's going to happen in the story. That that's really all that it matters to me. Um, and the more important the person, the more stressed out I tend to get about it. So pluses and minuses to both directions. <laughs> Well, I, I, I mean, you couldn't have said anything more that would be indicative of you being in the right place, exactly where you should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is life. This is this is how it ought to be, right? Yeah. I mean, again, I think that is the right approach to have is uh, take the opportunities as they come. Uh, understand that they're here because you're in a position where they are able to be offered to you and try not to think about it too much. Well, Devin, thank you so much. I uh, I really enjoyed this uh, this conversation. I feel like there's still so much that we haven't even tapped yet. Um, perhaps we can explore some of those in a, in a future future uh, interview. Oh yeah, 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 uh, and uh, yeah. I I thought uh, you know very insightful the things you shared today. Thank you again. Uh, pleasure pleasure speaking with you. Oh yeah, no, I love talking about this stuff. This is this is, I you know I, I talk to people about it and you know, for an hour or something goes by and then they're like, Oh, did you want to talk about something that wasn't work? And then I have to remind myself, Oh yeah, that was work. I was just talking about work. Uh, I just, I love talking about this stuff. So I, I could go on and on. This concludes episode one of the A Role to Play podcast, an untamed dandelion production. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Instagram at untamed.dandelion or a role to play spaces underscore. Until next time, make a wish, dream it true.